Welcome to A Child Walks in the Dark, a podcast hosted by award-winning poet and author Darren C. Demery. Each week, Darren and a series of other parents and creative careers join up to discuss a different theme or challenge to raising children. Their joy, their narrative and languages, their lineage and authorship, their small towns and cities and hopes, their community and their efforts to save and be saved. Each episode explores the role of a creative person as a parent as they attempt to navigate the world their young people are growing into. This week's episode is There Is Enough Youth, and our guest is Donna Boyer. Donna is the author of To Everything There Is, 2020, Every Love Story is an Apocalypse Story, 2016, and A House of Many Windows, 2013, all from Sundress Publications. Her work has appeared in Salamander, Baltimore Review, Poet Lore, Sugar House Review, Waxing, and other journals, and she serves as an associate editor for Rhino Poetry. Now, there is enough youth with Darren and Donna Boyer. Uh, and as promised, today's guest is Donna Boyer, uh, poet and author and mother. Um, and we're going to talk about there is enough youth, uh, the idea of children and their music and performance and how that leads them into interesting, uh, dynamic, sometimes scary or interesting places. Um, so you had a son that was very into music. So yes, still how, is. how did that develop and how did that become a, a passion for him? And, and as a mother, sort of, how did you see it come together? Yeah, I think that that's, one of the, the biggest joys I've had in, in watching him grow up. Uh, he's 28 now, by the way, in case anybody's wondering, because Darren's kids are much younger. Um, but when he was young, uh, he was very, it was very drawn to music. And we listened to music constantly in our house and in the car. And so he was just exposed to what we liked uh, at a very young age which then quickly became what he liked. He's, he, you know, when he was eight running around, you know, wanting to just, you know, with Blink-182 albums and, and um, all those kinds of things as, as his favorites. Um, but seeing him engage with music over the years since he was little, um, one of our favorite family stories, which we actually have a photograph of, which almost never happens because this was not really the digital age. Um, when he was about six, I believe, we went to see the Foo Fighters uh, at Summerfest in Milwaukee. And he loved the Foo Fighters because we played them in the car all the time. And it was pouring rain. And you know, you think a six-year-old at a concert in the pouring rain is usually not a good equation for there's, fun times. There's gonna be a fit. There's gonna be- Yeah, there's going to be something. Here. And we were, you know, we're all ponchoed up and, you know, bucket hats and everything to just try and stay dry. And they leashed in to learn to fly. And he stood out in the aisle and scream, sang every word. And I think half the audience watched him more than they were watching Dave Grohl um, at that point. And we had this weird deja vu moment about 30 years later, uh, both of us watching Foo Fighters at Lollapalooza in their infamous downpour set sure. with a, a yoga mat over our heads. Um, and then they started to play Learn to Fly. And we kind of just looked at each other and there was this weird kind of wire of, of connection, right? Uh, and so I think for him, music is was one of his ways of exploring the world, like who he wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And watching him 
we bought him like a Walmart electric guitar when he was nine. And he just took some basic chord lessons from a friend of ours. Um, and watching him progress from that um, to really becoming a skillful at the instrument, um, won a, a guitar contest at Lollapalooza, went, ended up the whole study, asked, asked him to come play on stage when he was 14. Oh. Um, and then in high school, kind of getting more technical and really getting into guitarists like Joe Satriani um, and watching his, even though his taste and what he liked to listen to wasn't changing, he was really learning a lot about the instrument. Um, and now that he's older and working and, you know, has other responsibilities, it's been kind of fun to watch him go back to the idea when kids perform when they're little, they do it because it makes them happy. Sure. Like it's kind of an innate joy. And then as they grow up, they start to be, they start to do it for other people or for other purposes or other reasons. And so to watch him now as he's uh, in his late twenties, kind of go back to just being joyful when he gets to play. Cause when he plays his whole body language is different. He's looser. Um, he's more relaxed and kind of, of watching all of that over the years has really helped me to appreciate how, whatever it is that a kid is into, whether it's music or um, art or Star Wars or whatever it is that they're super into, um, it kind of can transform them in a way, which is really interesting to see as a parent, I think. You see that that intimacy of you folks in the car together and it being something that was part of the routine and, and music and performance being something that's not just uh, a daily experience, but a daily lifting, something that you do together. And then it some something about that and something about the energy they get from it. Um, singing in the car. I you're you're right. My my kids are twelve and nine and three, and so uh, whether it's Hamilton, um, whether it's the Sting soundtrack from a few years ago, there would be uh, a repetition of Hey, we're going to preschool. Let's put this on, um, and let's let's get to the David Bowie and Queen. Let's let's get to. Uh, Ariana Grande, let's get to my son went through a Sean Mendes phase when he was like four years old. Oh, where that, like that's okay. Yeah, Dennis yeah. was into the boy bands when he was about kindergarten, first grade. So I still get sometimes, you know, uh text messages of he and his friends at some bar singing I want it that way at the top of their lungs. Right. It just come kind of becomes imprinted into them. Sure. <laughs> well, for me, I always wanted to be the guy in Boys to Men with the cane that just said Oh baby, come on back to me. You know that's 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 where my head was. Seems at. like a good job. <laughs> yeah. I can go ooh ooh. Yes, uh, you, I'm sure you could. But they 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 internalize that that rhythm and that joy and the way that they experience it makes them feel bigger than they are, especially when they're little. Um, and it manifests physically. Sometimes you'll see them dancing, singing to themselves. Sometimes they're jumping up and down. Sometimes they're taking pots and pans and you would think hitting them with uh, spoons or something like that. Mine occasionally would hit them against the wall. Um, that's, but, that's pretty normal, I think. Yeah. It's not just yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, you, you find ways in, in, in the small intimacies of music and how big it can be. And then as, as they grow up, I think uh, it becomes more and more important. It, it creates landmarks 
for them, not just with you, but if your son's still calling you to, to bring up NSYNC and uh, things like that, yeah. then, you know, it, it's I would not- say that, I would say that probably 40% of our text messaging is something about music. Sure. Um, it still is. Uh, when I was helping him uh, in June repaint his condo, um, I was like, who are you listening to lately? He's like, you're not going to know any of these bands. And I'm like, I'll put them on, you know, and, and there's a couple that, you know, I really ended up enjoying. So I think we share that. And I think that to me is important too, because my parents loved music and my mom was very open-minded to whatever we were listening to. I think it was also a sneaky way for her to see if it was appropriate what we were listening to you know she, we, we would bring an album home and she'd be like well, why don't you put it on and we'll listen but then you we'd hear her you know like running around the house like singing like police songs or you know um things like that and we'd be like okay you know she gets it like she 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 gets it that it's important to us and she kind of likes it too and I, I think that's kind of what happened in in our home there are a lot of bands where my son was a fan of the band that then we eventually because we heard it so much mm-hmm. um eventually started to like that idea that I, I like that you brought up that idea of the pots and pans and the because oh, yeah. you think about it I mean kids, the kids are I think they learn very early that performance is not only fun for them or can be fun for them but also that it gets a response yeah you know when you think about you know the, the silly face they make and mom and dad laugh well then they start making it over and over you know same thing with a dance or you know a song that they're singing um, and I, I love that when they're young, that, that, that response is, they like getting that response, but it's not the re- main reason that mm-hmm. they're doing it. You know, they sometimes engage in, in these performances, or hopefully they mostly do for their own joy and entertainment. You know, I remember watching my son for hours act out, you know, Je- a Jedi and Pokemon. He, he's an only child, you know, by himself, mm-hmm. you know, sound effects and all not for anyone else's edification, but because he was enjoying it. Um, And I think having been a middle school teacher for years too, that that's what I fear kids are losing a little bit um, is that kind of imagination, imaginative play, that play that's just for them, you know, because it's fun and that doesn't always have some kind of performance outcome, you know, or, or desire to master. And, and sometimes you stumble into it. You'll walk into a room that they were in by themselves and they're in the midst of the play. They're in the midst of the song. Uh, we have wireless karaoke mics in our house that they can turn on and all nice. of a sudden you'll hear <laughs> songs from the basement or songs upstairs and you walk in and they are just in the full throes of a per- performance in a mirror or not in a mirror. And uh, even if it's a song that you might not like, you you just love the experience of seeing them being so happy and so full of not just the song but the dance and all the stuff that goes into it um now was there a song when your son was growing up that that drove you a little batty what was one that like um like, well, I, I have do baby shark like okay my kids are young yep. enough that baby shark is a thing can't do it we we fortunately i don't know fortunately i don't know if it was a conscious choice or not didn't listen to a lot of like kids music sure um with him because i can't bear it most of it um is that because you were a teacher was there some of it that was sneaking in because i did teach kindergarten and first grade early in my career and i think maybe i just got turned off to the whole rafty and all that kind of stuff 
Um, although I think, you know, he's tolerable at some, in some do small doses. I will not uh, say baby beluga. I will not, I will not. Yeah. No, that's a no, no. Um, <laughs> I think the, the thing that we remember being just an ad nauseum thing that eventually we got like, we were like, what else do you want to listen to? Cause we will buy it, you know, please like pick something else was again, that boy band phase. And uh -huh. it was uh, whatever the Backstreet Boys album was that has like, I want it that way on it millennium or something like that. Okay. Um, because I would drive him to daycare in the morning mm -hmm. and he would get to pick the music when he was in the car. And it was months, months on end of oh, that. was how I started my day every day. Um, so, I mean, I can still hear, I can hear those songs now and not cringe, but for a while it was like, nope, no, thank you. No pop music. Um, but he, he had, he, and he was very, very into soundtracks for a while, but luckily they were mostly decent ones. Shrek was a big one. Okay, sure. So I think the only song in there that gets old is all-star. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it wasn't too bad. Uh, yeah. So we didn't really have a, a baby shark <laughs> moment. Is. I think for me, it was more the, any the things that we just didn't want to watch or see anymore were, were more than to listen to. And that was the, the Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z. He was very into that for a while. So we made my my parents and, and his grandparents take him to the, those movies. <laughs> like, here, well, that, here you go. <laughs> not, not just child care, but child care and, 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 a, and a break. Health care. That's right. That's right. Um, now, when when he was uh, really experiencing music and, and, and learning to love guitar and things like that, what at, at what stage in his development did that really sort of become almost a, a, a part of his personality? Like how, how did it develop? And as, as you were his mom, how, how did you encourage that as an artist yourself? Like, I, what, and what I think, yeah, I think as when he started taking like real lessons and got his first, you know, decent guitar rather than the Walmart one we had bought him when he was nine. Um, I said probably around, so about middle school, right that became started to become kind of a part of his persona he wasn't really an athlete although he played you know like community soccer and when he was in high school he did cross country and track um but he was never really a sports kid and so he i think this really kind of helped for him honed his his identity like this was who he was he was the musician he was the music guy and um as he started to get more accomplished and you know, he, you know, he would spend hours practicing, maybe not so many hours on homework sometimes, you sure. know? And so I think in, in our house, I was the one that was able to kind of be the, the one that understood that, you know, a little bit more. I mean, it's not like he ever was failing or anything, but who was a little bit more understanding of that kind of obsession, the obsessive quality of, of when you're making something happen with music or words or whatever your art is um, that I, I, so I had a little bit more of a kinship with him on, on, in that regard. Um, and then he was in a band for a couple of years in high school that actually recorded a CD and, you know, was playing local little local gigs. And um, he not only showed his performance side, but he also kind of became the ad hoc, you know, manager, you know, booking the gigs and, organizing things because half of them couldn't drive yet you know so organizing someone who had you know parents or cars big enough to get them where they needed to be and 
that also, I think, um, kind of honed his interest in the fact that being a part of the world of music didn't have to just be playing an instrument. There were a lot of other things you could do. And I think, you know, that he, he is currently working in like the merchandise end of the music business. Um, and so I think, he, you know, he's always on the periphery of, of music uh, in his work life, right, as well as, you know, his, still his personal interest, which is interesting, fun to see. How old was he when he realized that, that mom was an artist and he was an artist? And when, when did those paths first cross? That's an interesting question. I mean, he knew he knew I was a, I mean, he knew I wrote poems because he knew they got published and, you know, he, you know, he's pretty much the subject of my, my first book, um, or at least part of it. Um, but I mean, that wasn't really published until he was, you know, almost out of high school. Um, the first book. So, although I think he identifies that, I, that this is something that's important to me. Um, when he was little, like, you know, he would know, like I would be gone for a week because I'd go to, you know, a workshop somewhere when I was, I never did an MFA. So that was kind of my like DIY MFA. I'd go, you know, to the Iowa Summer Writing Project or somewhere for, for a workshop. And, you know, I would just say, I'm going to write. And it was like, okay, it was like a normal thing. Or we'd be on vacation and, you know, he, you know, I'd be sitting somewhere and taking notes and, you know, he and my husband would be off, you know, rolling their eyes. Like, Mom's writing something, you know, when is she going to be done? So, I mean, I think he's always been aware that it was something that was important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we've ever really had a, a you know, deep conversation about, you know, the, you know, his art or my art, you know, or, or kind of looking at it that way um, because he's not, a, not really a big reader of much except nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like he's, you know, looking up every time I publish a poem or something, I, which I don't expect him to do. Um, but I think he, he saw me take what I was doing seriously mm-hmm. as seriously enough where I was taking time to do it. Um, and I think hopefully that, you know, showed him that when something is important to you, that you don't have to give it up for other things, you know, you don't have to be just you know, you can be a mom who goes to write poems and you don't have to be just a guitar player. You can be a guitar player who does other things. Right. Well, and I'm sure he saw um, your engagement with his guitar and his band. And um, there's that that little spark where a child shows an affinity for something that you love. Um, and I, I'm, I'm still writing high from one of the book launches. Um, uh, at that point, uh, seven or eight year old Isabel, my oldest, who's now 12, um, had written a poem that she wanted to read. And she didn't just want to read it, she wanted to be part of the whole thing. So the reading was uh, me and Hannah Stevenson and Margaret Luongo, who's a fiction writer, teaches down at Miami, and, um, and Isabel. And so that's uh, amazing. Margaret, Margaret read first. And Isabel wanted to know exactly how to be part of the reading. So she read her poem and then she read the whole introduction for Hannah to like 
get her up on the stage and we made it such a big deal and I we went and got her a new dress and we did all these things uh, that eight-year-old girls absolutely love to do and it was incredible she ended up putting together this little chapbook of nature poems um, that I still have in my office here um, and she's not so much awesome. writing poems anymore but it was great it was great it to, is great yeah. yeah and I think for me too like I play guitar very poorly um, and, and kind of, I think I kind of came to writing poems because I wrote a lot of songs mm -hmm. when I was a, you know, mopey teenager and, you know, getting dumped and whatnot. Um, and so I think watching him get so skilled was a real joy for me sure. because it was something that I never, I don't think I was ever interested enough in it to be good at it. It was just something that I enjoyed doing just for fun, like with my friends. Um, so to watch him get so skilled was really great. And I, I think that that idea of, I love that, you know, you not, you didn't just say, oh, like cute little daughter's going to read a poem, but that she was like officially part of this. And I think, because I think that um, that's a kind of our job when we see that you know, we're, we're both, we're audience, right? We are stage manager, right? We are, we, we should be anything but critic, right? When our when our kids pick up these things and including them in in your world, you know, mm -hmm. to do, you know, your thing, but to include them in a way that's respectful of them, mm -hmm. because what they're doing with this idea is just as important or even more important than yours is amazing. I know that the poet Katie Manning, um, her son had written this book of Zelda poems mm -hmm. um, and so they had it put together in a book and he had a book launch um, yesterday on zoom and it was amazing <laughs> and you know that kind of idea of taking that that thing that your child is just into and letting them run with it yeah. um, I think is a joy that is very different than I think I think I, I think when I was teaching, I saw a lot of kids who were who were spending a lot of time doing things mm -hmm. that they didn't necessarily love. Um, they were doing them because there was some, you know, end goal. Like I'm doing all of this because I need to make this travel team, or I'm doing all of this because, um, you know, I want to, you know, I don't to be the best. You know, this kind of this pressure to to master to be chosen for this, you know, very specific choir that only takes, you know, 20 people. Um, and on the other hand, you saw a lot of kids who got involved in things at school because it was fun and they weren't necessarily going to be the ones who got chosen for some select choir, but they could play, you know, an eel in the school production of the little mermaid <laughs> and be a star and be a star, yeah. you know? Um, so that idea of, of encouraging mm -hmm just the joy of doing it rather than the push to be good at it or to be the best at it or to yeah. master it um, is a, is a line a parent has to walk. Um, mm. And when they're little, it's very easy to, you know, to do that. And as they get older um, I think, I don't think it was difficult for me because he wasn't doing something that had a competitive aspect. Um, right. But if your child isn't is something that has a competitive aspect, I think it becomes harder to, to focus on the joy they're getting from it and not 
you know, some other outcome. Well, and, and, be- and the challenge, what, what as parents, we try to, to rise up to in terms of not just a tussling of the hair, not just like, oh, that's great, but to affirm for them that you did something. Now, it, it whole world context does not matter here. You accomplished something. This is great. And to not treat them, especially in that moment at the, at the book launch, I didn't want her to be treated like a little child at the reading. She wanted to be whole cloth, a part of what was going on. One of the readers. Yeah, yep. absolutely. How do I do this the way that you're going to do it? Um, and to, to, to give them the, the intention and meet enthusiasm with enthusiasm. And if it's sports, it really doesn't matter if they're good at it, if there's joy in it. And we've been talking about music and art, and those are so much about the experience of doing it and right. so much less about what the final product is, especially Correct. for kids and young artists and everyone trying to write one good poem that turns into something else. And the process of it is daunting. So to treat them seriously when they're trying and when they, when they actually write something or put together a dance for a talent show, um, things like that. I ended up doing um, comedy in high school talent shows that was not very funny. <laughs> um, but, you know, everyone's like, this is great. <laughs> and there's still, you know, if I'm at the Walmart in Mount Vernon, someone's going <laughs> to bring up Jason's Remember your stories. Set? <laughs> yeah. I am 40 years old now. How on earth do you remember? But those were people that cared about me and saw that I was having fun with it. And they, they met me at that level and they laughed even when it wasn't funny sometimes and appreciated the effort I was putting in. And um, the idea behind, behind this topic is that the, the energy that, that comes with new musicians, new artists, children as they're banging pots in sometimes into the side of walls and, and into things like that is, is their heads. Yeah. And sometimes it's on their head and they run into the wall and that's, that's dangerous music, but it's music all the same. And that's, that's fantastic. And to, and to see that and experience it as a parent, sometimes it's you're in the room. So, you know, it's safe. Sometimes you can hear them being loud. So you assume they're safe. Um, but, but getting to experience that and encourage it and, and meet it at a level where uh, no matter how old they are, they, they know that it's important, that they're doing something that's happy and joyful. Um, now, you, you brought up the Foo Fighters concert. When you think back on, on your son when he was younger, is that, is that the predominant happy music moment? Now, there are a lot of them. I mean, that's one of them. I actually wrote a a poem about another one. He was a huge Blink-182 fan from the time he was about seven. I don't even know. It must have been the radio that he, you know, that he was introduced. Yes, people still used to listen to the radio when my son was little. Um, And I think we we were on a vacation in, in Hawaii, which we had never been to before. It was very exciting for us all to go and my husband decided to splurge the one day that we had and we were going to drive to Volcanoes National Park and we got a convertible because we're like, we're from Chicago and this is Hawaii and the weather is amazing. Um, and he must have been about 10, I think. And it was when Miss You was a big song on the radio. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how music kind of cements us to memories and, you know, to, to times and places earlier. And that is one of them that is just plunked in to 
uh, that very specific time is just the three of us all just singing at the top of our lungs, you know, in this convertible, driving through this really alien looking landscape with all of these black rock around us. Um, you know, just like not a kind of a not a care in the world kind of moment. There are a lot of them. Like I just when yeah. he was like four and, you know, he'd be in the car, you know, as a toddler, sing, you know, singing along with the CD player, like, despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. Yeah. Like, You're four, dude, but you got the words <laughs> down. Um, so there have been a lot of, like, you know, really, really nice moments around music. And I, I think he and my husband both like, I like heavy music, but they like it more than I do. And so they yeah. have a lot of moments um, where they've done things together. Uh, they went to the, what is it, the, the download like Donington festival in England together one year. Um, so I, I think we have like, there are certain songs that I'll hear that will definitely remind me of moments, you know, when he was in high school, they closed their talent show. There was like six of them that just threw a band together to, um, to do uh, kids by MGMT. Nice. So, so every time I hear that song, you know, yeah. that's what I think of is that little moment you know, um, where well, they were all I love the idea of you, you being in, in a version of paradise in Hawaii, <laughs> very different than Chicago. And, and you folks brought your own paradise with you. I mean, the idea of putting the, putting the top down and just screaming a song, whatever the song may be, it doesn't maybe even really matter what the song is. It's yeah. just, uh, it's, it's true. There have been embarrassing moments too when we've brought you know friends of his with us to shows. I love Nine Inch Nails. It's my favorite band, which is always a surprise to some people when they see me because I guess I don't look like a nine, typical Nine Inch Nails fan. Um, but the um, the one time his one of his high school friends was going to come with us to a show, and he was like, "You can come with us, but I'm just warning you that my mother is going to be screaming like all the <laughs> lyrics and like jumping up and down like an idiot the whole time." So just fair warning, you know, because I'm the mom that like brings some popcorn and stuff when they play video games. And uh, and after the show, you remember that his friend being like, yeah, that was kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I can only um, imagine one of your students seeing you out. Oh, they've yeah, they've run into a few. <laughs> it's been entertaining, to say the least. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. And um it's it's so much fun to discuss, but I, I think it's a, it's a really important part of of childhood and of being a parent and trying to give them uh, a, a wide enough berth to to run into walls and scream boy band lyrics and whether or not they become artists themselves or not. It's it's incredible to experience it and uh, and get to get to be a part of it. And even if the song you don't like, there, there's 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 joy in there's joy in boys to men and there's there's joy, joy in, in baby shark is there really joy in baby shark darren this is an excellent <laughs> question when i when i'm uh when i'm out on the other side i will let you know you will let me know yes well i always love talking to you about anything so this was really fun to have this conversation with you i appreciate it thank you donna and uh Thank you to uh, Emily Caldwell for recording the introduction. Uh, all the music, the intro and outro is done by Pagination. And we will be back with another episode next week. Thank you.
there is enough youth. I told my son there is enough youth in you for all of us. Of course you can paint the wall with your helmet on while you stand on the bookshelf and shout sing your favorite lines from Under Pressure, which you learned in an animated movie where a koala sacrificed his, his whole past for one night of good art, which yields him ruin and more art. And you, boy, I don't know why you got naked to do all of this, but I suppose it does make sense to me on an elemental level. Son, you are the new element, some sort of fleshy stone that hums at a rhythm this family has not yet known. Yes, 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 you're right, David Bowie and Queen. It's all so incredible.